Welcome back to T-10, everybody. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick, and this is the show with quick takes on the future of education and healthcare. Today's episode is with Yolanda Becker, Dr. Yolanda Becker, a transplant surgeon, uh, someone I've had the pleasure of knowing for a couple of years now. Today, we talk about everything from her recent retirement to her new role at TCU as the Director of Professional Career Development, uh, her time spent at the University of Chicago as Director of kidney and pancreas transplantation. Uh, so much to dive into, excited about her vision for the future of education, all the new technologies she's working on and where she sees the path of physicians, patients headed in the arc of kidney transplantation. Uh, so much to be excited about. I also wanna include that she was the passport president of UNOS, the United Network for Organ Sharing and has also uh, uh, won several awards, named a fellow of American Society of Transplant and awarded Friend of Nursing by the International Transplant Nurses Society. It's a great episode. Excited for you to listen in. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Yolanda Becker. Dr. Becker, it's always so good to see you. Um, I'm really happy to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I am excited for you to, to introduce yourself and kind of what you're focused on these days because we have not, surprisingly, had a chance to dive into the world of kidney transplantation here yet on T-10. So if you would, kind of give folks an idea of uh, who you are, what you've spent your career doing, and what you're working on these days. Absolutely. So I am a kidney transplant surgeon. Um, I trained at Wisconsin doing kidney, pancreas, and liver transplants, and ultimately really um, honed my practice on kidney and pancreas transplants because I really do love taking care of patients with hypertension and diabetes, um, really seeing the joy on their faces when they no longer have to be on dialysis or with type one diabetics that they no longer have diabetes. It's truly a miracle and it's an amazing thing. We know that we are improving their quality of life um, and, and quantity of life. We know that the survival with transplant overall is better than being on dialysis. And so it's an exciting field to be in. And um, so I trained at Wisconsin, stayed at Wisconsin for many years, and then um, moved to University of Chicago, where I had the privilege of being the director of kidney and pancreas transplant. Um, I was the president of the United Network for Organ Sharing, um, the, organ, uh, the OPTN, the Organ Procurement Transplant Network. Uh, during that time, really worked hard on organ allocation policies uh, to make sure that we included uh, shared decision-making with patients. And I think that's where really education and transplant really begin to intersect. Um, and I also uh, have had a tremendous interest in medical education over the years, not only of medical students, but also of patients. And I believe that there is a lot that we can do in the space to improve our educational opportunities and improve how we talk to patients and with them and how we include and how we teach our future physicians to engage with patients. So there's uh, so much in your background that kind of touches on parts that I've just started to learn about in the last few years. And I'd, I'd love for you to talk a bit about where those 
gaps are. Obviously, there's the patient side, and I love that. Um, I love the way you described giving hope and seeing that this is kind of a new beginning, um, and that's something quite different than other areas that we've seen in our focus on kidney care. So I, I really like that framing. Uh, but then also in the medical education side, right? That's that's very very different. And whenever we look at the problem set in that space, it's a harder one in a lot of ways for us to try to figure out how to serve the end users and the stakeholders who are learning and the future health professionals. So um, given all of your leadership roles and places where you've spent your time in your career, where do you see some of those gaps that perhaps are uh, close to being addressed? Do you have an idea of interesting ways people are starting to try to tackle those challenges? But I think first and foremost, it'd be great to hear what some of those barriers are that you're, you're highlighting. I think there are a lot of barriers around understanding and language and cultural competence. While we may all say the same words, how we express them are very differently. So teaching things about cultural competence to medical students and physicians is incredibly important. Um, and I think it helps us to bridge a gap. So things, what I've been really fascinated by in the education space is the use of AI um, to interact with patients and interact with physicians so that we can bring to the clinic a patient who is more well-informed and understands what questions to ask and also feels as though they've been partnered with. So there are ways that you can have AI where they pick their circle of friends, they pick their circle of people, and they can interact in a very real way. And I think we have learned so much through the pandemic in terms of um, interacting with one another across across the miles, across computer screens. And so that's made our patients more comfortable with that. So there's a tremendous amount of education that can be done um, across, uh, across various computer-based initiatives. And that's very exciting to see. It's really exciting to see what we can do with virtual reality now. Um, I actually, because I work um, at a new medical school, uh, Texas Christian TCU Medical School, um, it has been fascinating. The a very large part of the anatomy curriculum is actually going to be done on virtual reality, which I think is fascinating because actually you can see things in 3D and play with them. They warned us that we would get a headache the first time we did it. And I, it was, it was, it was like there was so much to see and we made sure that we were safe and everything, but there's so much to see. And I could see with, with a patient, you could take some of that fear away by actually letting them walk into a dialysis unit, letting them see what's going to happen. Knowledge is power. And it's important for them to experience it. And then they can come to their clinician with their doubts, with their fears, with their questions, actually having experienced something almost magical. And then when they try, when they go from transitioning from, from kidney care and end-stage kidney disease into what I think is the best form of renal replacement therapy, transplant, we can also show them that journey in a way that is real for them, that again, they can come prepared. It is a real journey and there are many, many steps along the way. So the ability to bring them a little further down the road so when they come to the clinic, the 
the clinicians, um, nurse clinicians, you know, the physicians, the social workers, the dietitians, everybody has the opportunity to interact with that patient in a way that is in some ways more advanced than what we're doing right now. And I really believe that that is a possibility. There's a ton in that to, to dig into, right? You know, my, my backstory, the reason I started doing work at Icona, my patient experience, and, and just knowing that people like yourself are thinking about new ways of interacting and engaging with patients and giving them the ability to see, hey, what's, what is next? What can I expect about my journey? Um, one particular use case you, you mentioned here that I think within kidney care especially is such an opportunity is because kidney disease in particular has so few symptoms and it's such a complex disease that it's so hard for patients and care partners and families to understand what actually is happening. Why is this a bad thing? Why um, just because I can't feel symptoms or experience this illness in the same way others might manifest, um, why is it important for me to know how to manage this? And I think VR as one possible tool is a great way to just uh, show someone to, to walk through the system and see this is what it looks like when you are impacted by this disease. So I love yeah. that both on the medical education side and the, the patient side that this can be introduced into these workflows because I'm sure that whether you're in primary care or specialty nephrology, uh, preparing for a transplant, I mean, that sort of continuum of education is going to be it's going to be powerful. So can you tell us a bit more about what you're working on now with with TCU and what your kind of current area of focus is? So, well, I have I have a lot that I'm working on. It's kind of funny because what happened was that um, that I am from a two career family. My husband is a physician and in the administrative space. And so I told him that, you know, Maybe, I, you know, our, our children happen to be in college. Everything is going really well. We kind of great market to sell a house. I'm like, we should think about downsizing. And in doing so, why don't you find the job of your dreams? And I might take a little hiatus from um, from clinical medicine and stop operating for a bit. And, um, you know, let's let's have a new adventure. And he actually called me on my bluff. And so we moved to Texas from Chicago, which was not exactly what I was anticipating but have settled here very nicely, did downsize um, into a home that, uh, that I really love, uh, getting used to the hotter weather for sure. And when I did that, I had the opportunity to really sit back and do some work with advisory boards, to do some consulting work and kind of, you know, sit back a little bit and look at what's out there. So I've been able to interact with some very interesting companies um, and just like you and I have interacted over the years, actually, we met through a think tank. And so I've been able to be kind of get into that space. And I found some fascinating areas. I think one of the other areas that I'm excited about is really viewing food as medicine. So with the Kidney Cares Act, there, um, there is an emphasis on uh, diagnosing kidney failure or kidney disease at an earlier state so that patients can be, more, number one, more prepared, but more importantly, they may be able to stave off disease. And if you look at, at 
things like food as medicine and you actually teach people not with just a recipe book, but actually like a, a nutrition assistant that is you know, an AI assistant who can help them make wise food choices at point of care when, you know, and identify where there are food deserts, they can help with some of their symptoms. Kidney disease is a very difficult disease. There are a lot of, of really rough symptoms in terms of nausea. They just don't feel good. The fatigue, they can't cure their kidney disease with diet, but some of the symptoms can be mitigated or lessened by understanding how your disease interacts with your diet. So that's a really exciting place, looking at using decision-making models to predict which patients are going to be able to uh, maintain a certain type of therapy for like home dialysis, or what will what is the patient's learning style so they can under so we as clinicians can understand how can we teach them. Some people will ve respond very well to just hearing us in clinic. Other patients need to see it. Other patients need both. I think virtual reality is just amazing and fascinating. And I really think that um, where that is concerned, the, the world is our oyster. So if we could actually use that to teach people how to use food as medicine, to understand, um, uh, to understand a little bit about their personalities as well so that we can keep them on a healthy pathway. So we can say, okay, if I, if I give certain people a list of things to do, it's much, much too intimidating for them. But if I gave them two things to do, they would get them done very efficiently and come back. And yet it's one size fits all. So if we as clinicians can learn a little bit more about our patients in advance by using advanced technologies, I think that's really gonna be magical and it's going to make us better physicians and better partners in care because really we should be partners in care and sharing that decision-making with the patient. I think one theme that I, I'm hearing from you that I really appreciate is the emphasis on enabling physicians to deliver care extended beyond the walls of wherever the setting is that they practice care. And whether it's in the home or understanding uh, nutrition, personalized medicine piece as, as a patient or a family member is doing groceries. Um, all of that seems to be getting more attention. The CARES Act, multidisciplinary care teams, uh, Health, population health management, uh, so many teams seem to be focused on how can we use tech to enable services to not only improve and to extend the capabilities of these clinicians, but also to reach areas and populations and people who previously maybe didn't have access to these tools or to this quality of care. So I'm, I'm really encouraged and usually I, I wrap up these conversations with what are you optimistic about on short and longer timeframes? It sounds like you've listed probably half a dozen tools where I think we will see meaningful progress over the next five, 10 years. And with the, let's call it a reset in digital health in the last in the markets in the last few months, it's really an opportunity because people are saying, where's the evidence? You know, okay, there are tens of thousands of apps in the in the store which of these are going about it the right way and partnering with institutions who care about uh, understanding and evaluating the efficacy of these tools. So th that's what has me excited, obviously this conversation does too. Is there anything else kind of on your mind or within this these categories you've all mentioned where either you want to actively be 
involved in working on it or you're excited to see kind of the uptake and, and who adopts these technologies maybe in the larger market setting? Well, I think the short answer is yes. Right? So I love all of this stuff. And, and you know, the one of the reasons why I took the position at um, the new position at TCU came out, I mean, came crashing out of retirement, which my kids were laughing at me. They were taking bets on how long it was going to take. It didn't take very long uh, because I was given the opportunity to be the director of career and professional uh, development. So, so interesting to learn about these, the students who are going to be future doctors who, you know, we didn't have Twitter handles to, to like do interviews. I mean, just the way that they interact with our future physicians are interacting with technology and how we can channel those energies and bring it to the healthcare space. The fact that, um, that the pandemic drove um, telehealth and video health in a way that was very real, very frightening, but boy, we have come such a long way. And truly to be invited into a patient's home, on, I mean, you know, because we have our cameras, we can kind of see, you know, what the where the walls are. And to realize that, wow, my patient, I can tell by the surroundings that there might be some challenges there that I might not have understood before. But to actually actively be invited into their space is a true privilege. So I think as our technology has gotten better, I mean, our cameras have gotten better on the computers. Everything has gotten better because, you know, sometimes you have this disruptive thing that happens and there's so much that was negative about what happened to our world. And yet again, so much that was optimistic, so much that pushed us beyond what we thought we could do, where we had limited ourselves. And now we're seeing there is no limit to how we can interact on the computer. There is a reality that occurs. And yes, you can even do mental health across the computer, you know, and, and people do very well. So there's so many things I think that we can do. I am very excited to be in the education space, not only educating um, patients and continuing to advocate for them on their behalf, but also teaching our new physicians, what can you do? Because there's so much they know that I don't know about interacting in an appropriate way with social media. And I think, I, I think we've got a, an amazing future ahead of us. Well, I'm, I'm excited because a lot of what I learn on a day-to-day -day basis, or I'd say a significant portion of it is from, like say pharmacists, right? So they, they happen to be a subgroup of clinicians who are just incredibly active and advocates for technology and ways that they can support using those channels. I can imagine, and I would love to talk about this further at another point, but having a discussion with yourself and a lot of these people who I'm learning from on about what does career development look like throughout the arc of a career for a future clinician or a current clinician. I think that would be a really interesting conversation and a lot of people would be curious to hear what, what perspectives are um, across specialties and across obviously clinician types. So maybe we can set that up at some point because it sounds that like you're the right, right person to be on it. Awesome. <laughs> that would be great. Great. Well, Dr. Becker, always a pleasure seeing you. Before we wrap things up here, uh, how can folks get a hold of you if they want to learn more about what you're working on or just connect with you afterwards? Yeah, so I'd love an email. Drop me an email. I've actually got a Calendly link when I email you back. So you can you can hook yourself up to my calendar. And my uh, email is y.becker 
at tcu.edu. Perfect. Well, I will make sure that goes in the show notes and include a few other of the pieces I know we mentioned that people might have questions on, the organizations and the acts, et cetera. Uh, but Dr. Becker, always a pleasure seeing you and I really appreciate you coming on.